The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. You don't want it. You don't need it. But you're going to get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. So 2.47 remaining. Three timeouts. Do you agree with this? Going forward on fourth? I do agree with it. Heineke on fourth down. Again under pressure from Ojolari. Fires downfield and it's oh. Curtis Samuel who makes the catch out of the 48-yard line and quiets this crowd. A 21-yard connection. Wow, he's getting pressure from both sides. Has to escape out of the pocket in order to be able to even see who was downfield. I had no idea who he was looking at. I see him going, going, and then he's trying to set up. I'm like, who's he throwing it to? And Curtis Samuel out of nowhere gets open for that first down. Remember that play, Tommy? Hard to forget it. Heineke magic. Uh, we'll be talking about that tie for years to come. Tommy's here. I am here. Tommy is back in his fortress of solitude out in Frederick after what seemed to be months upon months uh, in the panhandle of Florida, uh, singing uh, virtually every night. Uh, hopefully healthy. We'll get to your uh, your your foot here in a moment. Um, but Taylor Heineke, if you missed the news, I can't imagine that you did. Uh, Taylor Heineke uh, is an Atlanta Falcon. He is going to sign with the Falcons to back up Desmond Ritter. He got a really good deal. Now, some of the early reports, two, uh, two years, $20 million, I think we're a little bit overdone. It looks like uh, all of the reporting now is basically two years, $14 million, um, with like six and a half of the million guaranteed. But still, uh, Taylor Heineke and his magical run as the Washington backup quarterback and often starter is over. How are you feeling, Tommy? Well, I knew this was inevitable. I mean, I kept reading, you know, references in, in, from the people who covered the team saying they really want Taylor back, you know, and their, their plans uh, include having Taylor back. And I'm thinking, are you nuts? He's not coming back there. He thinks you screwed him. He's not playing for that coach ever again. It's funny. I had Kime on the show, radio show, very early this morning. And at 6.45 a.m., he told me, I think Taylor Heineke will probably sign a two-year, $10 million deal to stay here. They want him back. Uh, there's interest from Taylor and his 
agent to come back unless they get a much better deal. And it would appear as if they got a much better deal um, from Atlanta. And remember, Atlanta is home for him. Um, and uh, so he's going home as well. I, I I don't know that I agree with you. And if you're right, um, then I feel less about Taylor Heineke, the person, than I do, which is I really love his story. I think he's a gamer, baller, all the things we've talked about. I just don't think he's that good of a quarterback um, and certainly not a starting quarterback. But if he isn't appreciative of the opportunity that this organization, Scott Turner and Ron Rivera, gave him, he was on his couch, uh, sister's couch just a few years ago um, taking classes at o- Old Dominion, and now he's got millions of dollars and millions more to come um, in income. That would be disappointing um, if he really honestly felt like well, he was completely think... screwed. No, 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 no. Don't, don't twist it here. What do you mean? His loyalty, his loyalty is to Scott Turner. Scott Turner is the one who brought him in. See, he was Scott Turner's guy all along. Ron was never crazy about him. You kept saying week after week they couldn't wait to get to, to bench him and put Carson Wentz back in. I think Scott he, Turner felt uh, the same. Know, Ron, no, Scott Turner. This was Scott Turner's guy. And look, I mean, it was at the beginning. What uh, you saw, what uh, Taylor's good friend and former coach at Dominion, uh, Bobby Wilder, said on Al Galdi's podcast. No, I didn't. That, what did, uh, he, did he call him? Well, did he call him the five wrench quarterback again, or the five tool? He's never seen a five tool quarterback like him. What was the? Is that actually that may have been his college coach? Are you talking? Who was this? His high school coach or college, college coach? coach? Okay, sorry, college coach. Yeah. Okay. You know what did he uh, say? Basically, he basically said, "I don't want to get into specifics about what happened because I don't feel it's my place to share that conversation." Uh, but. When you're in that position, the starting quarterback of the team, and you've led that team from being two and four and out of it, so we got a shot to get the playoffs. You've done that. Sure, you haven't scored a lot of points, but the locker room loves you. The team has really come together. Then all of a sudden, we're going to go in this direction. We're going to make this move. That's a hard pill to swallow. I'll leave it at this. What happened at the workplace was not done in a professional manner. Oh, bullshit. I don't feel like Ron handled it well. <laughs> I think there was some animosity. Okay. Taylor was getting too much credit for the turnaround. Right. In the back of his mind, Ron from, is from taking Sabah. credit or blame. He's getting too much credit from people like Sabah. Okay, okay. The you know Heine- what? The Heineke Hive. Is that because you've proven wrong on this? I told you, you weeks about? ago that Taylor Heineke felt betrayed, and you dismissed it. I don't. And I'm telling you, this is his, this is his one of his best friends. Well, then, if the guy, if the guy, exactly that, if did. the guy that he was so tied to, why didn't, why weren't the Raiders interested? They don't have a backup quarterback well, on their roster. I they know, let Jared I know Stidham that, go. That, that, I know that. Maybe he got a better deal in Atlanta. Maybe than what the Raiders might have been offering. Or, or maybe, as I discussed here a couple of weeks Let's ago, not deal with maybes. Let's not deal with maybes. Okay, the, the Commanders wanted him back. He didn't go back to the commanders. Uh, his former college coach and very close friend say he felt betrayed, and this is what I said weeks ago, and that's exactly what happened here. The well, that's what that's a maybe. If you take his college coach 
at his word and and rather than just being non-objective when it comes to the overall situation and being a huge fan and supporter he's more of than Taylor. His college coach. For, for, first of he's all, first of all, friend. this this idea that Washington desperately wanted him back, they wanted him back, but at a number. That's what I actually discussed here, and for the for the most part, reported, not really reported, but discussed as a strong, uh, you know, informed hunch that they had a number, and Taylor and his representation thought they could get more, get more, and the team said, "Go for it." If you find more, great, but we're not going above this number. And Kime pretty much reported the same thing. And by the way, congratulations. He got more than what they were offering from the Falcons, and that that's it. But I, 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 I would bet that if there weren't many other options for Heineke, and the only option we know of uh, is Atlanta, and there may have been other options. Maybe Scott Turner was interested, although – I had heard that that's probably not what Scott Turner would be pushing the Raiders for, but they didn't know who their starting quarterback was until yesterday when they when they uh, signed Jimmy Garoppolo. Um, but you're you're acting as if you got this right that he felt screwed, and more importantly, because this was more about this was the debate. It wasn't about whether or not he felt like he was screwed, which you now think has been validated. The argument was whether or not he should feel like he got screwed. I said at the time, I think she'd be, he should be incredibly appreciative of the opportunity that oh, this organization gave him, and you disagreed with that. That was the argument. Not whether or not he no, felt no, like no. he was screwed. No, no, no. That was not the argument. Was I said he shouldn't feel like he got screwed during the season? Did the coach betray him during the season? Betrayed, and right? Yes, and he I did. and here's and yeah. and here's the worst I said part. he shouldn't feel like he, he was betrayed. Him. It's bullshit. He betrayed him for his own self-interest, for his own ego. He played Carson Wentz because he saw it as his last chance to be proven right on the most idiotic, stupid personnel move we've seen on this franchise well, that's, for many that's years. That's a long list to choose from. Um, I Okay, and he was doing this for his ego. He didn't even know after the game that there was a playoff position at birth. No, he didn't. Okay? But it, but, but okay? This, and this idiot started Carson Wentz out of his own pure ego, nothing else. Nothing else, nothing else other than the fact that he wasn't a very good quarterback and he had been turning the ball over in the games leading up to the Cleveland game with fumbles and the offense was really stagnant because he wasn't a very good quarterback at that time. I guess other than that, nothing else. Um, Now, I will say the best game he played all year was the San Francisco game, but they had already made up their minds prior to that. Other than the fact that the offense was really – subpar at best and the quarterbacking was not very good then the only other reason was his own self-interest yes if he had benched Taylor Heineke when the offense was humming and Taylor Heineke was playing well and it was really debatable as to whether or not you know Taylor Heineke could lead him to the playoffs and they could do something that's one thing but that was not the reality of the situation you take the small well, minority the of voices of out there that think no, that, that this guy's Joe Montana, and you realize the guy's not very good. Okay, you see, there you go. He, he's not very good, go. and he wasn't very the good. The situation was they had their best chance to beat Cleveland was with Taylor Heineke. That is true in hindsight. That is true in hindsight. I did not feel that way going in. As I told you, and I was very clear, to me, 
I don't. I have no idea. I, I'm totally nonplussed on this argument. I don't have a strong opinion. It might be Wentz. It might be Heineke. I have no idea what we were going to get. In hindsight, yes, they would have had a better chance. I still don't think they would have won the game. Because the defense, it was the worst defensive performance since week two. They made Deshaun Watson look like Deshaun Watson for three straight drives, giving up 21 points and like 300 yards almost on three drives. That was the defense number one that lost that game. I'm not coming off that. Now, with respect to Heineke and whether or not he he felt betrayed, maybe he did feel betrayed. I'm not saying that he didn't feel betrayed. I didn't tell you that I didn't I didn't know if he felt betrayed or not. I'm saying it's and bullshit he if he betrayed. did. If he felt betrayed, that's he bullshit. No, he wasn't. No. He was not betrayed. If no. he had been playing great, saved, then he would have been betrayed. He wasn't playing very he well. Saved the this offense guy, needed a jolt. This guy from even worse embarrassment oh, bullshit. than he's, he's had as a coach. He saved his ass. Uh, it, That's what he did. First of all, there may be no saving this coach, but it's certainly not Taylor Heineke that's saving him. Taylor Heineke's not very good, Tom. Can we start with that? He's a backup NFL quarterback. So if you, yeah, with a twelve backup quarterback, not not playing well, shouldn't feel betrayed about anything. With a twelve and eleven starting record, with a coach who has a losing record since he's been here. Yeah, but they they weren't they didn't have a winning record because of him. He was okay. You know what? Yeah, he was on the field. He was he played the most important position on the field for this team. Right, but no, they didn't have a winning record because of him. No, they didn't. It wasn't. It, 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 he was okay. not the lead reason as to why they had a winning Maybe record. Was the there were there was were games the that they Is won that, they that he played well in. Such a winning record. What'd you say? Maybe it was. Was it was it the left linebacker? Is that the reason they had such a a, a winning record? Uh, the time he was on the field. No, it was several other players on defense, though. Several oh, others, okay. including the one that they just extended that they just gave a, a contract extension to. Yeah, that was the reason that they were competitive this year. The defense was top 10 in the league, and it of led course. them the entire season. That's the number one reason they won eight games and finished 500. Number two was well, their playmakers. The yes, it is. In my opinion, it is. No, it's not. Yes, it is. Okay. What's the number one reason? Well, it's not number one reason they won every game. I said it's the number one reason why they went 500 this year and not something much worse. Okay. All right. I'll grant you that. You you are? Okay. Taylor Heineke was a backup quarterback. He's not very good. He is all the positive things that we said about him. I'm not going to say him anymore. Everybody's heard him a million times. I don't dislike him as a player. I like him as a backup quarterback. End of discussion. The bottom line is a backup quarterback who's not playing very well for an offense that is stagnant shouldn't feel betrayed if he gets benched for a guy that they paid big money for and started early in the season, and they wanted to give him one more chance. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that there wasn't some self-serving motive that was a part of Ron Rivera's decision. And by the way, I would suggest to you it wasn't just Ron's decision. This was something I told you before the first Giant game that a lot of them were thinking. 
that they 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 when Carson gets gets back and is healthy and ready to go, they want to move back to him. And it was that giant game with the highlight that I played coming into the show, which was among several highlights, by the way, of Taylor Heineke's uh, career here in Washington, um, that kept him in the starting lineup through the bye week and for the giant game where you know Kayvon Thibodeau and Ojolari and everybody else completely uh, got the best of him, and they had you know not much of a chance. Uh, because of turnovers and because of poor offensive play, I, I just don't. Look, if, you have you if, have if a this coach were... who, who, who's who's a dis, who, who can't be trusted when it comes to dealing with his quarterback. That's fine. Alex Smith that, told you this. That's fine. You know, way after he left, fine. Alex Smith felt betrayed by this same coach. You know, that's bullshit and this too. Is the guy who's leading your team. That's bullshit. If he he did feel that way, I, and I said it before, I think Alex Smith to not be smart enough to realize the position the team was in with his catastrophic injury was really, you know, to, to me out of the touch doctor, and out of reality. The team doctor quit because of the way Rivera handled Alex Smith. <laughs> I don't care. And this this coach, uh, this, this uh, coach is a nightmare at quarterback. He, he, he talks out of both sides of his mouth. Yes, he does. Anybody who's playing that position can't trust the guy. Yes, he and does. If, you can't, if the quarterback can't trust them, how can the rest of the locker room I can't, trust I guy? can't trust this group to pick the right quarterback. It doesn't mean that I wouldn't trust them personally. They put Alex Smith back out onto the field when there was a massive downside for the organization to doing so. We sat here and we talked about it before he ever went on the field for the first game against the Rams. The incredible risk that the organization took in putting him back on the field. To expect, by the way, after that injury that he was going to come back and play again is ridiculous because not even he or only he thought that that was a possibility. So to go out and, and then, sign Ryan and then, Fitzpatrick and try to move on from him was was better then, was better football when sense. Alex Smith, when Alex Smith wins football games and performs well, what does your what does his coach do? He comes out and says, "Well, we could have done the same thing with Kyle Allen." Tommy Alex this Smith, guy Alex is Al- a weasel. Alex Alex Smith. I, by the way, that wasn't specifically. I don't think what Alex Smith complained about. Alex Smith complained about before that season. In 2020, the fact that they wanted to move on before 2020 or before 2021. I'm I'm getting mixed up now. Before the season when they had made plans to move on without him. Um, And and that, that, that was... That, that somehow that that betrayed him, that that was wrong, that they should have taken more into consideration the possibility that he could come back. That's bullshit. It was a long shot. It was a, a wing and a prayer that he would ever play again. But, but now the Kyle, m- moving the on Kyle from Alex. The Kyle Allen remarks, the Kyle Allen comments were part of it as well. Okay. You're sure about that? They yes. should. They, by the way? Yes, they were. They sh- that should have been part of it. That's not right to, uh, to, to, to say that. For a guy that was out there in 2020, actually playing better than Dwayne Haskins, I don't know that he was that much better than Kyle Allen. In fact, I probably would agree with Ron, but Kyle Allen was hurt, uh, and he wasn't an option at that point. And then they had to go obviously to Taylor when Alex couldn't play in the in the uh, in the playoff game right. after barely making it through the Philadelphia game when Philadelphia basically threw in the towel and put in what's his face, the guy that we drafted, Sudfeld. But enough about Alex Smith. Back to back to Taylor Heineke. Taylor Heineke got an opportunity 
all right, from his from being a backup quarterback in the XFL to completely out of football to looking for perhaps a career after, you know, was he getting his master's at ODU? I think he was getting a master's in something or getting a graduate degree in something. And then working on Wall Street was the goal. And instead he's made $6 million with Washington and is now slated to make another perhaps, you know, six, seven to $14 million in Atlanta. If I were advising Taylor Heineke, as somebody that's close to him, I don't know every detail of the situation. You may, uh, you may say on our next show, oh, you have no idea what happened that week. Uh, they berated him. They verbally abused him. They told him how much he sucked and how little they appreciated it. I doubt that happened. But I, my advice to Taylor Heineke would be high road. No matter how pissed off you were, and by the way, glad you were pissed off that you got benched before the game against Cleveland. Uh, but you owe them a thank you for the opportunity that they gave you, that Scott not, Turner gave you, you and, by you the really, way, as as Scott Turner's boss, Ron Rivera, gave you to com- if you felt, completely change your life not if you felt financially. Not if you felt backstabbed. I mean, you don't automatically, okay, you give the guy the chance, and then you don't treat him like fair and square. You don't treat him on the up and well, up. Well, I wasn't it's treating okay. him fair and square. So he wasn't playing well. It's, it's, the offense it's, was generating okay like 12 to, points a game. But there was no other option. Well, there was an option in Ron Rivera's mind. And by the way, I, again, let me emphasize, it wasn't just Ron Rivera's mind. They, I think the offensive staff had been thinking about this for a few weeks. They wanted to go back to Wentz. They thought he could provide a jolt. They were wrong. What they knew, what they knew wrong, is offensively Kevin. they weren't very Kevin, good with that's, Heineke. That's that's a lot of people to all be wrong about the same thing. Well, it may not be a lot of people. It may be three people. It may be Scott Turner. It may be Ron Rivera, and it might be Ken Zampezi. I don't know all the people. I just okay. know it wasn't just Ron Rivera. I think Scott Turner felt the same way, that he was ready to go back to something and, and look for a jolt. And by the way, Scott Turner wasn't the biggest Wentz fan. We read about that after the season. But the best right. game that Taylor Heineke probably had was his final game. I, and I said that after the San Francisco game. I said, to be honest with you, for two and a half quarters, that's the best football he's played all season long and some of the best football he's ever played here. But this was not a team that was thriving offensively with Taylor Heineke at quarterback. And there was no way that they were going to make the postseason or have any chance in the postseason without better play at that position. And by the way, I would also Actually, say better they, play along the true. offensive line. That's not true. Yes, it is. That's not in true. my opinion, beat, it is. If they beat, if they beat Cleveland, they're in the playoffs. Yeah, I said, and it, you know, I don't. I my personal view is that they wouldn't have beaten Cleveland with Taylor Heineke. I've already said that to you. You you disagree with me. A lot of people disagree with me. That's fair. I you're entitled to your opinion on that one. It's a close call. The defense was horrendous in that game. Horrendous. Taylor Heineke had the benefit all season long of playing with dominant defensive play. And in that game, Carson Wentz's start, look, Carson Wentz was terrible. All right, He was rattled. He looked awful. He looked scared until that longest drive of the season right before the first half that gave him a halftime lead. But the defense gave up three drives, 268 yards, and 21 points on three consecutive drives, game over. Something the defense had not done since week two. It had been a dominant defense all season long, and that's why they won some of these 50-50 games. The Packer game, the Colt game, the Eagles game, the Falcons game. They t- the reason they tied the Giants. 
Now, Taylor was spectacular at the end of the Giant game, which is why he got another shot in the next Giant game. But I just don't – I my perspective is if I were Taylor or if I were somebody close to Taylor, I would say you can, fe- you can be pissed off that you got benched, but they – it's not like you were playing well or the offense you were leading was dynamic in any shape or way or form. And ultimately, these guys gave you a life-changing opportunity. And you made the most of it. I'm not saying it was all about them. It was probably more him and his play on the field that created this life-changing opportunity. But they gave him the chance to do what he did on the field to prove that he was an NFL backup quarterback. I would not tell him to feel betrayed and feel angry and and feel like they did nothing for him. But that's just me. I don't th- I don't th- Okay, well I I don't think like, you know because you gave this guy a chance at the behest of Scott Turner, you gave this guy a chance. Well, you didn't have many choices. Uh, and there. Ron went along with it. And Ron went along with it. Uh I don't think that that means that you can basically, you know, basically dump your values and backstab the guy like they did. I don't view it as a backstab. I don't think that gives him carte blanche to do that. That you know what? I don't think it gives him carte blanche to backstab him either. I agree with that. I just don't think they backstabbed him. <laughs> this coach is is such an idiot when it comes to the quarterback. Among other things, he really is. I mean, it's just amazing. One one decision after another that he screwed up. And now quarterback number one. It's the guy he had to be talked into playing in the last week. <laughs> By, ironically, Taylor Heineke. Taylor Heineke, yes. who didn't want to get hurt. Right, well, I mean. Because he knew he was going to get paid. I think the best compliment you can pay to him is he is obviously very smart. <laughs> He's very smart. It, there was absolutely no upside to him going back out on the field. I do think it's interesting, though, um, as this played out. Because it was two weeks ago that I came on here and I said, I've got a very strong hunch that it's probably not going to work out for Taylor Heineke here. They have a number in mind, um, Taylor and his representation do, and the team uh, doesn't think that their number for him is even close. And then this morning, in the last day, you know, as tampering period opened up, um, there's been a lot of discussion, Kime and others, people on the beat, they had a strong sense that Heineke was going to resign here and that he wanted to re- that he was interested in resigning here and that you know he understood what the market would be for him and that the team's offer was going to be you know maybe his best offer and it wasn't i mean Atlanta offered at least based on what we know a lot more. I mean, at least, you know, if you take the guaranteed dollars, at least two to three million per year more. So, yes. um, and again, let me emphasize, he's going home. You know, he grew up in Atlanta. That's where he played high school football. Um, and by the way, for, you know, and we haven't talked football here at all, but I actually think the opportunity for him in Atlanta with Arthur Smith as the head coach and offensive mind is a great opportunity. Now, Taylor's going to have to commit to running a little bit more, like what Mar- Marcus Mariota did for for Arthur Smith and the Falcons when they were here. Um, and Mar- that was one of Mariota's best games of the year and one of his best running games of the year. But Arthur Smith has made Ryan Tannehill, Mariota, and will probably do the same thing with Desmond Ritter. He wants his quarterback to run. He wants his quarterback to be part of the running game. 
And that was something here, and you know this, This is that was my number one criticism of Scott Turner when it came to Taylor Heineke. I would have I thought that he would have wanted to leverage, to me, what was Taylor's number one strength, his athleticism and his playmaking ability as a runner and as an off-schedule quarterback, but as a runner in particular. And they never really did that. They never really emphasized that so it may be better for him in Atlanta. And by the way, Desmond Ritter, th- you know, third round pick last year. There's several people that really like him in Atlanta. I think likes him. Um, th- the reports are that R- Ritter is the starter that they've signed Heineke to be a backup. Yeah. Um, Heineke, by the way, will make more money than Ritter as a backup because um, Ritter's on that uh, year two of a, a rookie deal for a third rounder. Um, but it'll be a good position. And by the way, Taylor Heineke, remember, said recently on, I think it was the McAfee podcast, there's really no better job than being a backup quarterback in the NFL. It's a pretty good gig. I'm paraphrasing, but he said something to that effect. And he's going to get paid a lot of money to be a backup quarterback. That's really good backup quarterback money. You know, roughly $7 million a year. Really good backup quarterback money. And Atlanta, by the way, has some weapons. You know, they signed Jonu Smith yesterday. They traded for him. They've got Kyle Pitts. He'll have two, the two best tight ends he's ever worked with. They've got um, uh, uh, what's-his-face from from USC that Washington uh, wanted in the draft, um, the receiver. Uh, they've got the guy that I love, the running back, Tyler Algier, who played incredibly well last year as a rookie. Um, I think they're well-coached, too. I think Arthur Smith's good. Drake London is, is uh, the name I was trying to come up with. Um, you know, and they're in a division where Sabah pointed out to me this morning, well, he's already beaten the Falcons twice. He's already beaten Carolina and he's already beaten Tampa Bay. (laughs) So this division with him in the backup role should be Atlanta's just give him the division right now. The Falcons. Actually, I like their team. This is the spot that I said to you a while back would have made so much sense for Lamar Jackson. But they didn't want to go after Lamar Jackson. After, by the way, remember being all in on Deshaun Watson last year. Yes. So, anyway, um, what are your favorite memories of Taylor Heineke? <laughs> What's your number one memory you know, again, of Heineke? Let me just point out, <laughs> I never thought he was a good quarterback. Doesn't sound that way. I just always thought he was the best option they had while he was here. Right. Right. Okay. Yep. They didn't have any quarterback options. No. Okay. They didn't. Their two quarterbacks that they signed both got hurt early in the season. We never yes. had a chance to see so, Fitzpatrick. And by the no, way, I'll I'll, I'll no, agree never, with you. He was certainly he was certainly different than Wentz in that you know he didn't soil himself every time he went out onto the field. It seemed like. Yeah. So uh, my favorite memory of Taylor. Well, how can it not be the playoff game that they lost to Tampa <laughs> the first time we saw them? Right? Uh, yeah, I mean, the the best memories of are, are of a loss and a tie. Exactly. Yeah, yeah I agree. But I what agree. about the Colts game? See, that's a game that I think I have in my in my own mind, of course. I think I've given him accurate praise for being the reason that they came back in that game. People say, well, he threw the 50-50 ball up for McLaurin, and McLaurin made a great catch. Yeah, but that misses the fact that he converted two fourth downs when they were down 16-7. to 
Now, they were only had seven points early in the fourth quarter because they weren't very good offensively, but that was a spectacular two-drive performance by Taylor Heineke. Look, he had a clutch gene. There's no doubt about that. When the game was on the line, you knew he was not going to pee down his leg. That was not his makeup. And so getting that playoff start, you know, after playing what, the fourth quarter of the Carolina game like two weeks earlier or three weeks earlier, whatever it was, and to come in and throw for, I think that's his only, that may be his only 300-yard performance as a quarterback or no, maybe the Giant game last year on Thursday Night Football. Um, He was outstanding in that game. And, And exactly what you would want from a guy who has never played, who's barely played at that point, in a playoff game, not to come in and totally soil himself right there on the field. Like, um, who was the guy that, uh, remember the quarterback they had a couple of years ago that they put into the game briefly and he was just terrified? Um, was it, was it a Rivera team? Who's the, uh, quarterback that I'm thinking of? Uh, Steven Montez. Do you remember when they had to put Steven Montez into a game? Wow. And he wow, was that's a pretty good guy. I don't I forgot that guy. He, and he was terrified. That's one thing that Taylor never was. But you're right. I think the greatest the memories, the two best memories are of a tie and a loss. Well what? They've had more losses than wins. That would make sense. <laughs> well, the the right answer is well, what great memories from any other quarterback in the last quarter century uh, you know, are tied to wins. Um not many. Uh, RG3 certainly had a couple in 2012. Kirk had a couple of here, here and there as well. Um, but yeah, um, look, I, I wish him the best. I think it's, I, I'm not being condescending or flippant. I swear to God, uh, th- this is the kind of kid. If you watch the kind of kid that I coached in basketball, this is the kind of kid that I would have fallen in love with. And by the way, uh, would have been trying to convince everybody that he should get more playing time. Um, he is, you know, a coach's dream, you know, from a competitive standpoint, from, you know, an intelligent standpoint, from being, having natural leadership skills, the whole thing. But the bottom line is with Taylor Heineke, he just ain't that good. He can't make NFL throws for the most part. And you're not going to win anything with him as your starting quarterback for 17 games. So, I am actually, you know, cutting to the chase here after 30 minutes. I am actually happy for him, but I am also happy for me that next year we don't have to talk about why this the coaching staff and his teammates are totally screwing him out of out of being one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. I that that was a bit much to handle from some of the people in the Heineke hive. That the coaches were screwing him, that the players were letting him down, enough already. He's a backup quarterback. By the way, a good backup quarterback who just got paid very well and good for him. Do you have any last thoughts on Taylor Heineke? No, no. Uh, I have no last thoughts except uh, for whatever reason, uh, a quarterback that they wanted uh, isn't coming back. You could argue it's because he got paid. Uh, or whatever, because I look. I think there's better backup quarterback options. Well, I, I, we're going to get to that next. Yes. Okay. 
I even hate to use the word backup quarterback in this situation. I know you do. So why don't we wait till then? Okay. <laughs> you mean because of Sam Howell? Right. Okay. Yes. I, I was. I thought you were talking about that. You were. You don't even like to refer to Taylor as a backup quarterback. No. No. I, no. No. I, no. I, no, I, no. I, That's I, not I, what I meant. I got it. I got it there at the end. All right. What is next? And we'll go through uh, in more detail what they did yesterday, uh, and we'll get to all of those things right after these words from a few of our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. That's right, Tommy. Memories. Memories of the way we were when Taylor Heineke was in town. I have a question for you about that movie. That was Streisand and and Redford, right? Yes. Was it a good movie? Not for me, it wasn't. Okay. No. I've never seen the movie. And I I like Redford a lot. And I, for the most part, like Barbara Streisand. But, uh, no. That, that that movie didn't do anything for me. It's not one of my, it's not on my list of anything. The only reason I I asked you is that I saw something recently, and I don't know. It's in the last couple of months. It was on Redford, um, in particular, and it was some maybe documentary, and they were talking about the making of that movie and about how he and Streisand really were at odds with one another. Um, that Redford apparently was a one take guy, like. If that one take wasn't good enough for you, I'm not going to sit here and do it over and over again. That wasn't his style. He liked to do one take, maybe a second take, and that was it. But Streisand apparently was majorly, you know, a borderline kind of uh, perfectionist, OCD, and every single scene she wanted to continue to do it over and over again because she didn't think she got it right. So it drove him nuts and apparently made the filming of that movie dreadful for him. Um, and it got to the point where he actually thought about walking off the set of that movie. I don't know anything about that movie. I remember the song because I remember my father and mother um, loving Barbara Streisand and that being a big song in like the early to mid-70s. But I don't think I've ever seen the movie. I do like Red. You ever see Jeremiah? You ever see Jeremiah Johnson? No. Oh, my God. What? Okay. 
That's Robert Redford's greatest movie. It is? Oh, my God. Who's in it? Just him, for the most part. I, I've never seen it. I swear to you, I haven't seen it. Well, you, you got to put... Look it. You got to write this down. You got to put it somewhere where you won't what forget year, it. What year was so it when made? You go home. I'm, I don't know. I'm thinking 73, maybe. Okay. 72. Mm-hmm. Jeremiah Johnson. 1972. You Sydney will Pollock. Sydney Pollock. Love it. Yes. Never seen it. You'll love it. Oh, my gosh. There you go. That's your homework. <laughs> um. I, you you think he's he's better in that than he was as Butch Cass as, as Sundance Kid in Butch Cassidy and Sundance Kid or all the President's Men? Yes. Or the Natural Jeremiah Johnson. He is Jeremiah Johnson. He's on the screen ninety percent of the time. What does he say his best movie ever is? Do you know? I don't know. Okay. No, I don't. You know, I mean, what, I loved him in the Natural. I oh, was great in the Natural. He was great you know? in the, he was great in the Sting. The Sting was such yes, a great movie. Was, which, yes, yes, it was. I mean, he was so great. But he's, he's done a lot of great work, you know. Uh, but uh, Jeremiah Johnson, that, that's the gold standard. Okay. Um, by the way, speaking of entertainment, uh, I finished The Last of Us Season 1, uh, Episodes 7 uh, and 8. Uh, 8 and 9, excuse me, last night. So I, I'll just tell you... Um, I like this show. I don't love this show. I like this show. Uh, episode eight was great. Episode seven was a bore. I think we, uh, I told you I kind of compared it to The Fly, um, uh, Breaking Bad. Uh, the finale was just okay. Overall, I would give it like a solid B to B plus. It's not some of the really good shows that I've watched in recent years. I, I liked it, and and I think you would like it. You're not going to give it a shot, though, because you know, it 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 doesn't have demigorgons in it. It only has zombies in it. Um, but I I liked it, but I didn't love it. And the the number one reason I didn't love it is I kind of felt all along that the relationship between Joel and Ellie was just a little bit too much of a stretch. And I also thought that she in particular at times was difficult to understand, which I've heard from many of you who have said that you had to turn on the subtitles and watch it that way. Um, she's a Brit and there was just a lot of a dialogue that, you know, was important dialogue that I thought was hard to understand. I think it got better as it went along, but it's a, it's a, it's a good show, not a great show. Many shows that are better, um, like the show that Tommy and I both agree on, which was Stranger Things, that's that's a much better show, in my opinion. So I'll never, ever really push you to watch The Last of Us. Now, that's just season one, so maybe season two um, will be better, and I'll give it a chance in, in season two because I liked it enough. You know what actually comes on tomorrow is season three of Ted Lasso. I am looking forward to that. I forget. Did you watch Ted Lasso or not? I watched the first couple episodes and got bored. Okay. I'm looking forward to – I thought episode – I thought season two was not nearly as good as season one. I am interested. This is probably nearly two years now since we have had Lasso, but it uh, it's out tomorrow, um, the whole season three available. I haven't, I haven't read any reviews of it. So um, let me just read a couple of reviews of us, all right? Um – Kevin and Tommy Purify 
exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point from Hogskins91 on Apple. Love the show from Connecticut. Listen to it so much that my wife and eight-year-old daughter are always saying, enough Kevin Sheehan, can we listen to something else? (laughs) Then he says some very nice things about me, and I appreciate those. And then he says about you, Tommy, you are the best. Although I think you should really start listening to Kevin and stop scrolling through porn, I mean Google, while he is trying to make a good point. I think you might be hurting his feelings. I have a place right down the street from Kenny D's, and my goal is to come witness a live performance by the great Tommy Purify. Keep it up, boys. Uh, thank you um, for that. This from R, uh, RS Abes via Apple. Thanks for sharing your talents. If not for this and Tony's podcast, especially Kevin with Tommy and Kevin's morning radio show via uh, Odyssey, I would toss this cell phone into the Potomac. Uh, Well, thank you for that. And then, by the way, um, very nice reviews. And I got a lot of uh, tweets um, and emails from people who really enjoyed the conversation with Liz Clark from Friday. Liz is retiring from the Post after 25 years with the Post, 37 years in total as a journalist. And uh, we talked, you know, a little bit about the football team and then kind of talked about Liz and her career and and people enjoyed that. Um, so I appreciate all of that uh, pushback um, from uh, MIJ. Thanks so much for doing the Liz interview. It was wonderful. Always admired her work, especially as an old NASCAR fan. Yeah, Liz had a successful NASCAR book that she wrote after covering NASCAR for a few uh, years. Um, But yeah, Liz, Tommy loves Liz. Liz is one of the most well-liked people in sports media in this town. Speaking of her, she has written this morning with Mark Maskey about ownership. There is a bit of an update on that. And we will get to that here uh, shortly. This segment uh, is brought to you by MyBookie. Go to MyBookie.ag. Use my promo code, KevinDC. And they will allow you to exit after you wager your deposit amount one time. Most places don't let you do that. MyBookie will. You have to use my promo code, KevinDC. If there's something written in the promo code, erase it. And uh, and and put in Kevin DC. Um, by the way, I did see upon Garoppolo signing in Vegas. Now, part of this was just you know the possibility, the outside chance that it could have been um, could have been Aaron Rodgers, I guess. But the odds for the Vegas Raiders to win the AFC Championship basically went from something like twenty-five to one to forty-five to one after Garoppolo got traded wow. for. Uh, so p- the, the book's not really super um, bullish on Jimmy Garoppolo, who got $34 million guaranteed in Vegas. And they cut Jared Stidham loose, which I was surprised. I just thought Stidham might be the backup um, for uh, uh, for Josh McDaniels and for Jimmy Garoppolo. But he signs a deal and goes to Denver to back up Russell Wilson. Um, all right, so uh, with... Now, the only quarterback on the roster being Sam Howell, Washington Quarterback needs... number one, QB1, as he should be referred to from now on. Okay, so who will they sign? Well, here are the options. Andy Dalton, you know, we've mentioned Andy Dalton a lot. 
I actually you see that the, the Saints, the Saints are working to make a deal with Jameis Winston. The, I, so the, that would mean that Andy Dalton would be on the market. I'm surprised at that, um, but. Uh, yeah, I think they are more than making a plan to, to sign him. I think that they well they can't actually sign him until you know tomorrow at four p.m. Right. But it looks like Jameis Winston's going to stay there. There's no news as of yet on Andy Dalton. I haven't seen any news yet on Andy Dalton. Um, Andy Dalton would be my number one. Uh, he would be because I am not convinced that Sam Howell, like like many of you are that he's going to be the answer. It would be great if he is, don't get me wrong, um, but I'm not convinced of it, and I think Andy Dalton would be the best uh, backup and the best starter you know, uh, f- for this team since Kirk Cousins was here. I, I say that, and I-, I think I've said this a couple of times already, I don't mean to knock Alex Smith's 2018 season. It's probably better just to say that Andy Dalton would be the best quarterback they've had since Alex Smith in 2018. But Alex Smith was not that great in 2018 before his injury. The offense wasn't that good. Um, in 2018, I don't consider Dalton to be like, you know, a quarterback that's going to lead him to a Super Bowl or deep into the playoffs. But I think with that defense, um, with the playmakers that they have, if they improve that offensive line, and if many of you are right, and Eric Bieniemy is a major upgrade at offensive coordinator, I think this team could be a really competitive team with Andy Dalton. And by the way, if Andy Dalton's on the team and he's not playing, then that's a sign to me that Sam Howell actually really is pretty good um he would be well, my number one choice dep- uh, well wait it depends what is it, what does it depend on depends if he's ron sky or not because right. ron sky is going to be the guy that ron plays <laughs> um jacoby Brissett's another possibility he played very well uh last year baker mayfield's still out there gardner Minshew's out there marcus mariota's out there uh, you know, guys like Chase Daniel, Joe Flacco, they're too old. Kyle Allen's out there. By the way, uh, you know, and Ben Standig tweeted this out, Carson Wentz is still available. If he really wants to be proven right on Carson Wentz, he could re-sign him for just, you know, a one-year deal for like three million bucks. Um, I hope it's Dalton. I, I, I will tell you right now, I think I'd be as interested in this team as I have been in a while if Andy Dalton was in training camp battling it out with Sam Howell, you know, even if Sam Howell went in as QB one, sort of his job to lose. I also think Andy okay, Dalton but, and Jacoby Brissett have both proven that they're okay being backups and mentors, and I think both of them would be excellent mentors to Sam Howell. But how how ridiculous would it be? Okay, I mean, I agree with everything you said. I think they'd be lucky to get Andy Dalton, and I think they could be competitive with Andy Dalton, at quarterback, given the weapons they have in their defense. Uh, I think the same thing about Teddy Bridgewater, actually, is also available. Yeah. Uh, but uh, if Dalton comes in, will he be QB2? No, we already talked about this. Or He'd be, he be QB1A. <laughs> That's what he would well, be. Well, QB1A. Yeah. Okay. So he wouldn't be QBA1A. He'd be QB1A. Whatever. Right. It's uh, it's Sam Howell's job to lose. It's ridiculous, isn't it? Uh, uh, what does yeah. that mean? I mean, this is a guy. This is a coach who has de- who declared a couple yeah. years ago about Dwayne Haskins. A year after that happened, uh, that uh, I made a mistake. 
I should have had a quarterback competition. I should have announced it right from the start and made it a competition. You've already said you know? it. Yeah, don't listen to him. He 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 uh, he plays to the audience in the moment and then forgets what he said three days later. I, I, at this point, it's kind of ridiculous to, to really listen to Ron Rivera talk about anything important. Football wise, that, that said something about your head coach. Well, yeah, well, he didn't know that they were eliminated, or there was a chance that they were eliminated after the Cleveland game. That says all you need to to, to know about the head coach. He's not the same head coach in terms of how he's being a head coach in Washington that he was in Carolina. He is settled into the CEO role, and hopefully, Eric Bieniemy is you know a a magical. Uh, playmaker uh, for their offense, and they've got a quarterback that works. Because look, even if Sam Howell is the right guy, I think we've talked about this, but if it's possible that he could be the right guy, and we'll learn watching him. He's growing, he's developing, but they're probably not going to be a playoff team with Sam Howell next year. You just don't usually have a guy who is a fifth rounder in his first full year of starting have the kind of performance that is playoff worthy. Now, he's got a good team around him, and if they fix the offensive line, we'll get to that in a moment. Um, but I would love them to have a failsafe, a legitimate starting failsafe. And to me, Andy Dalton or Jacoby Brissett fit that label. Teddy Bridgewater, there was a time where I liked Teddy Bridgewater. I just, the last couple of times I've seen Teddy Bridgewater, Nah, including a game he had to play this year for the Dolphins, and he just doesn't seem to have it anymore. Uh, you know, the, the, to be honest with you, he's never really had it since the terrible injury. Um, so those would be my two top two in that order: Dalton, Brissett. Do you have a preference or not? I would say Dalton. Dalton would be my number one. I, I I'm still higher on Bridgewater uh, than you are. Uh, but I just find it laughable that uh, that Sam Howe is 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 QB one. I just I'm sorry, you know, when the coach speaks. I mean, what else do we have to go by other than what the coach says? Now I understand coach speak. Believe me, I understand that. But but the 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 the, con- the contradictions are overwhelming sometimes and embarrassing. And we should talk about that when it comes to signing Deron Payne. Well, you haven't weighed in on the signing of Deron Payne, so what do you want to no, say about not. Deron Payne? What do you want to say? Look, I think, I think uh, you know, you could argue that it's a lot of money between two defensive tackles to invest in that position, but he's a good player. And this team has wasted a lot of money on bad players, so if they're going to uh, invest money poorly – at least invested in a good player uh, at, at, in this case. But what I find ironic is uh, with Rivera, you know, I mean, I've maintained that uh, you saw the best of Chase Young this past year because he was trying to get paid, you know? And uh, I can't find it now. What are you looking for? What are you looking for? I'm looking for? for Ron Rivera's comments about uh, about Chase Young when he was talking about using the fifth-year option yeah, he, as a motivational tool right. for Chase Young. Yeah. And his reference was Deron Payne. He said, look what Deron Payne did in a contract year. 
basically. He played his best. You see, this works. Why wouldn't it work for Chase Young? So basically, he's saying this guy played his best year because he was going to get paid. Yeah, of course, Deron Payne was playing on his fifth-year option year, and they're they're contemplating yes. not even picking up the fifth-year option for Chase Young. Look, yes. uh, the Chase Young thing, I think, you know, right now, one of the top storylines after the ownership stuff, which is, you know, one, and then everything else is one, A, B, C, D, 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 E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M, N, O, P. Um, I think the most one of the i th- i think one of the most intriguing storylines right now and important storylines for this franchise after the owner of course is Chase Young and what they do in 2 months or in it's more like 9 weeks or whatever it is 8 8, eight 7 weeks whatever it is it's early may that they've got uh to pick up the fifth year option do you know what that says if they don't pick up the fifth year option on Chase Young it says yeah. that they are totally fine right now with him leaving at the end of next year. That, that this is a, a, a one-year deal, and if it turns out that he's the Chase Young we saw as a rookie and the Chase Young we saw at Ohio State, then they can franchise tag him. You know, they can they can franchise tag him and then try to come up with a long-term deal. Um, but picking up the fifth-year option would be the best way to do it. Actually, you know what? I'm talking myself into something right now. This is beautiful, the way this just worked out. It actually may make more sense for them, if they're unsure about him, not to pick up the fifth-year option. And just to use, if he ends up having a great fourth season this year, use the franchise tag and try to settle in on a long-term deal with him on the franchise tag next offseason. Because if they pick up the fifth-year option, they're locked in to whatever that number would be in 2024 on the fifth-year option for that position. Actually, uh, maybe it's not as telling. I just completely did a 180 there. Um and I, you know why? Because it makes sense to me that if they aren't sure about him, and I think it's, I think it's clear that they're not sure about him. I still think it was stupid that Ron Rivera went public with the Deron Payne comparison and contemplating not picking up the fifth year option, and you know, by the way, injecting the health of the knee back into the conversation. I think that was stupid because if they really don't think that they're going to uh, want him at the end of next year, they should be trying to trade him right now. And maybe he's hard to trade right now, but they did. we did see two games of him, and he looked athletic to me. He looked like the Chase Young, you know, a- athletically um, from his rookie year. But this is a really interesting part of their football uh, team right now. This guy, they picked number two overall. This guy was the defensive rookie of the year. They passed on potential quarterbacks in Tua Tungafailoa and Justin Herbert to take him in that number two spot. And by the way, I didn't disagree with it. I thought Tua's hip was a major red flag, and I was not a big fan of Justin Herbert coming out of Oregon. Nor were they. Nor were a few teams until it got to the Chargers at number six. But can you imagine the number two pick in the draft not getting his fifth-year option picked up uh, when, I mean, the fifth-year option without a contract extension? But maybe it is the best strategy 
for them. They can always franchise him at the end of next year. Well, my point being, uh, I, I agree with a lot of what you said, but my point is his, his blurting out that Deron Payne was motivated by getting paid, and now he's you just sign him to a night. What's his motivation now? Well, this is the argument. This is the argument that you know you have made, and because by the way, it wasn't so much what Ron said about him. You, your opinion was was really shaped on what Duran was putting out there, which was it was all about the money. That's what had bothered you that there were social media posts and other things that that led you to believe that this guy just had a a career year because he was on a contract year, and that's not an unreasonable p- position to have. My position is he was one of your best three football players on the team last year. He's been one of your best six or seven football players easily throughout his career. I don't let those guys go, especially when I don't have a lot of them. And I, my hunch, and I have no idea if I'm right about this, is that this guy at 25 years old with Sam Mills being gone, and that guy was a major problem for the defensive line as a, as a coach, that we saw yeah. the beginning of something special here. This guy was dominant last year at the position. You could actually make the case he was their best football player. But it was either him or McLaurin or, or John Allen. And then, the, and then the second part of that, he doesn't miss games. He's played in 81 out of a potential 82 games. And if you're getting him entering his prime, his age 26 season, off of his best season, um, man, I would have hated to see him, You know, not next year because he would have played on the tag potentially, but the year after that he leaves because you can't afford to tag him twice. I, I, I think it was a smart signing by the team. I, I could be Look, proven wrong I, easily. I, I, I... Uh, e- even in the years that Deron Payne wasn't in a contract year, he was good. He still played. He still was good. That's right. He wasn't like he was last year, but he was still good. I, I okay. Yeah. So and, and like I said, you know, they've paid a lot of bad players a lot of money. So even if it's too much to invest in one position between him and Jonathan Allen, at least you know you're probably not wasting your money on uh, the uh, on the talent. What's interesting is, it's the ninety million dollars. Is that the, the biggest contract a, a player has ever gotten for this franchise? Um, I think it is, isn't it? Uh, I don't know. I'm thinking here. I don't think anyone's ever gotten paid more than that. Well, in terms of aggregate contract value. Well, wasn't Albert Haynesworth's deal? I know it was like forty-one million guaranteed, but wasn't it over a hundred million? And that was back in two thousand and eight. I'm looking it up right You're now. Right. Okay. A- am I right? I think it was. You might be right. I remember it was forty-one million in guaranteed money. Um. Yeah, it was a one hundred a seven year one hundred million dollar contract with the Redskins on the first day of free agency. Oh, okay. So um, that's that's still the gold standard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in many in many ways. Uh, yes. Real quickly, on the, my my yeah, point is, yeah, go ahead. The, the Payne making ninety million, uh, Terry McLaurin getting the seventy one million dollar yeah. extension, 
and Jonathan Allen getting a seventy-two million dollar extension. Who drafted those guys? I know. I, I pointed that out yesterday. The best players on this team are the players that were here when this group got here. That is true. Yeah. And and by the Bruce way, that's Allen. that's always the case in the first year or two of a new coaching staff because I, know, I get that. Yeah, but I now but now but they're now, entering year four. No, you're right. And now we're we're talking about Ron's first guy up for review, arguably, is is their defensive end, Chase Young, and they don't want to commit to him for a fifth year. Yeah. They don't want to commit that fifth year option. That's true. So, I mean, Chase Young is Ron's first first judgment case. Yep. Cameron Curl came in the seventh round of that draft and He's probably next up. He and Sweat, you know, for an extension. I mean, that was a hell of a pick in Cameron Curl because he's a really good player, and Gibson's a good player too from that draft. But it doesn't matter. You can't get the number two pick in the draft that wrong. Now, if it's wrong because the injury will limit him from being what he could have become, that's not their fault. Um, but let's face it: before the injury, there were you know there there were rumblings of trouble. Yes. Now, what yes, I'd like were. to see is I'd like to see Chase Young come out and have the kind of season that I thought we would see from him um, after college and then after his rookie year. I hope that happens you know, for, for them. It, yeah, go ahead. The next one is Montez Sweat. I know. That's I, another Bruce guy. I just said that. Were yeah. you Googling? I was, I was looking at porn. <laughs> Sorry. Um, on the moves they made yesterday – I um look people uh there is with you know social media now everybody's a film expert you know everybody's an expert on all these guys um I'm not okay I'm not an expert on Andrew Wiley or Nick Gates or Cody Barton or Cam Dantzler all right uh and and I would suggest that especially at the positions they play that scheme that system um, that responsibilities, that position, uh, that players around them, all of those things will contribute to whether or not it will work out for them. These were the only thing I can say about their day yesterday. Overall takeaway is they, all these players were were basically gotten on the cheap. These were mid-level and low-level free agent signings without a lot of downside to signing these players at positions of need. And so if they turn out to be much better than Andrew Norwell and Trey Turner, you know, from last year are, then there's only upside here. Now, the other important part of this for me was just to get a sense from people like John and Ben as to what the team is thinking with respect to position. Nick Gates, John is convinced is a center. That, that they brought him in here to be a center, not a guard. Wiley, he's either going to be the right tackle or right guard, more likely than not right tackle with Cosme moving to right guard. It certainly will not stop them from drafting an offensive lineman if he's the best player on the board at 16. Um, as far as Barton goes, I did like him and, and watched enough of him to know how active he is, uh, how, how he can run, how he's a good tackler. But again, system... Uh, fit. Have no idea if it'll work here. Cam Dantzler, I watched a lot of him uh, the last couple of years because I liked him coming out of Mississippi State. He was on that team with Montez Sweat. 
um, and Jeffrey Simmons and some of those really good defensive players at Mississippi State. But, man, he could not stay healthy. And when he was out there, it was total hit and miss. But he's one of these guys at 6'2", with long arms, can run a little bit. If he can stay healthy, maybe he ends up being a guy that can help him. But there was no, you know, he, they picked him off, picked him up off of waivers. Um, so those are the players, right? And they re-signed Danny Johnson. So that's what you have right now. Uh, the draft, you know, whatever, whoever the best player on the board is, and hopefully it's at, you know, uh, a tackle uh, or a line uh, or a corner um, primarily or a tight end. Um, that's where they should go, uh, and they're still in position to do that. They they sign some players at, at need positions, but it's not like they're all buttoned up in those positions, not as of now. Look, I, like, I'm like you. I don't know if these guys are, are going to work out or not. I don't know how good offensive linemen they were. Uh, the, the guy from Kansas City played 59 games yep. with the Chiefs. Yep, and so he's he a B enemy guy. going for him. Yes, and he's a Biennemi guy. He's coming here, obviously, in part because of Eric Biennemi. So I think those are all good things right there. Uh, but nobody knows. Nobody knows yet. Nobody You're knows. right. All right. Um, look, bottom line is we all knew going into free agency and into the draft, they need offensive linemen. They need to take – uh, they need to put bo- they need to throw bodies at this situation and hopefully they land on a new body or two uh, to plug in that are better uh, than what they had last year. I do think center is in particular very important because if Sam Howell really is your QB1, um, it's going to be important that he's got a solid, healthy, consistent veteran center. Uh, that he's playing with, um, which would take some of the responsibilities uh, away from him and give them to the center in terms of protections. All right, uh, let's finish up the show. You've got some things. I've got some things. We'll get to them right after these words from a few of our sponsors. If you're a basketball junkie, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Twice a week, J.J. Redick is cooking on his podcast, The Old Man and the Three. He has guys come on in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, including Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron in Miami, and the moment Tyrese Halliburton knew Pascal Siakam would be a good fit in Indy. In addition to player interviews, every Monday, J.J. breaks down the top three things happening around the NBA with unmatched analysis. Not outlandish takes, and is often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler to dive deep on rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? You won't find another outlet that covers the game as comprehensively and with such insight as JJ does it on The Old Man and the Three. Make this your companion podcast during the playoffs. Listen to The Old Man and the Three ad free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, Tommy, tell everybody about Shelly's, which I would imagine would be a great place to sit down, grab a stogie, grab a cold beer, and watch March Madness. Okay, look at this. Look, I'll do the selling around here, Baba Louie. <laughs> okay. And don't you forget uh, it. All right, well, t- okay? let me, let me, let me start over. My, Tommy, tell us about Shelly's back room. Material from, you're, huh? you're stealing my material from well, me. I might be down there on, thir- on Friday, not, okay. not Thursday. Well, this... It's the place to be for for watching Mark Madness. They got eight high definition TVs spread all throughout both rooms of the bar. It, there's two rooms, so there's plenty of room at Shelley's. You know, I've already told you about the great menu they have uh, and the great selections of beer and, and and whiskey and and the great staff they have. Like I say, if you've not if you're not if you're new to cigar smoking. And you need some help picking out a cigar. They've got a cigar menu available, and they'll give you advice. They'll ask you what you're looking for. They'll they'll know what to give you in terms of starting out, you know, and and things like that. It's just a friendly, comfortable place. And I tell you what, it's the only place in D.C. or Maryland, for that matter, uh, the only bar restaurant where at the end of the game, if your team won March Madness, you can do like Red Auerbach did and light up a victory <laughs> cigar. Yeah, you can. You can light up that <laughs> Red Auerbach all... victory cigar when your team wins. Uh, hope... That's right. You know, the story about Red Auerbach, he used to eat at legal seafood in, Bo- in Boston all the time. The original. And they had, yes, and they had no smoking, but it always said on the menu, except for Red Auerbach. Yeah, they had to make an exception for Big Red. Um, yes. All right, so they... you can be just like you can just be like Red Auerbach and enjoy a good victory cigar when your team wins at at, at Shelley's back room, thirteen thirty one F Street Northwest in the district. Great beer menu, burgers are good. Good spot to watch games on Thursday and Friday. Um, by the way, it's yes. supposed to be a be- it's freezing here today and windy here today. Yeah, but um, it is going to be. I'm looking it up right now because I, I looked at it earlier today. On Thursday, sixty. On Friday, sixty-two. How about that? Um, it would have been better, I guess, if it had been kind of chilly and damp, so you can stay inside and watch hoops all day, which I will be doing anyway. Um, Real quickly, I was coming in here this morning uh, after the radio show. I just went out, got some coffee. I was driving back. I was listening to the NFL Network on Sirius XM. And the host, I think it was that guy, Adam Shine, was talking about this World Baseball Classic. I'm not following it at all. But apparently Mike Trout hit um, a monster home run for the U.S. This is what he said. Then he made the following comment, and I made a note of it because I wanted to ask you. He said, Mike Trout might be the best player that's ever lived. The best all-around player that's ever lived. And I just went, excuse me? 
that's, that's a bit much. That that seems like the most absurd thing I've ever heard in my life. Yeah. I know that he's a great yeah. player. Who, by the way, correct me if I'm wrong, has he ever played in a playoff game? No. So do people in your in baseball consider Trout to be one of the greatest players or rivaling the best players that have ever played the game? One of the best players ever? No. No, 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 no. Nobody that I know does. Okay. I mean, the first guy most people think of is Willie Mays or Babe Ruth. Or I know this may be a shock to Adam Shine, uh, you know Josh Gibson in the Negro Leagues. Uh, there's there's a lot of I mean Hank Aaron. There are a, there's a number of players that would be ahead of Mike Trout on on that list. He okay. he's the best player in baseball now. Although some people would say Mookie Mookie Betts is the best player in baseball, uh, but uh, that, that's an absurd. Uh, comment made by a child, obviously. <laughs> uh, um, who's the greatest? Now you want to talk baseball? Who's the greatest player you want of to all talk time? Baseball? Yeah, yeah, but just real quickly, who's the greatest player of all time? I think Willie Mays is. Mays is? He could do it all. More than Ruth I think or Aaron. Run, catch. Uh, yeah, I think I think very highly of Ruth. I'm not one of these guys who think just because he played in the segregated era that he doesn't deserve to be among the greatest of all time. He was, his home run totals were so far ahead yeah, of yeah. whoever was in second place. Right, exactly. And when you dwarf the competition, it goes beyond <clears throat> those roadblocks that you think of. But I think it's, I think it's Willie Mays. Okay. Uh, I think it's Mays, Aaron Ruth. Mays, Aaron Ruth. Basically. Okay. Yeah. Um, not Mike uh, Trout. Now I want to talk about a, a great player for the New York Yankees who passed away, very near and dear to my heart, a guy named Joe Pepitone. Right. You ever hear of him? Of course. Okay. He was he was on the Yankees in the 60s. Uh, he was a pretty good first baseman and a pretty good power hitter. Hit 28 home runs for them one year, drove in 100 RBIs, hit 31 home runs for them the year after, uh, another year. Uh, but uh, he, he passed away, and... I'm just telling you, if you want to read a baseball biography, an autobiography that will just shock you and blow you away, he came up with an autobiography about 35, 40 years ago called Joe, You Could Have Made Us Proud. I've never seen anyone reveal themselves so openly as he did in this book when the revelations are so ugly. To reveal what were the revelations? I mean, I mean, in terms of sex, in terms of lying, cheating, drugs, alcohol. I mean, he was a five-tool player when it came to vices. Okay. He so he he was he was a, he was a party he was a party guy. Yeah, I'm reading right now oh. uh, the obituary. I had yeah. I had no idea. Of course, I've heard of Joe Pepitone. Um, yeah. He. Uh, he was arrested in Brooklyn in March of eighteen, March eighteenth, nineteen eighty-five, for running a red light. The car contained nine ounces of cocaine, three hundred and forty-four quaaludes, a freebasing kit, a pistol, and sixty-three hundred dollars in cash. I told you that was that he was spent so four. Tough. He spent four months in Rikers. This guy, look, this is important. This is near and dear to me. 
because he grew up in my neighborhood in Brooklyn. He did? I mean, like literally a couple blocks from where I grew up. I have a button still, a big button, that says Joe Pepitone, the kid from Brooklyn. And our insurance guy gave it to me when I was a little kid because he was friends with the Pepitone family. They even got us tickets once to see a Yankee game. It's the only time I ever went to see a Yankee game at Old Yankee Stadium. Uh, And Joe Pepitone grew up on St. Mark's Avenue, a couple of blocks away from me on Sterling Place. Uh, And it's funny because in the book, he mentions this family, this friend of his, uh, whose last name was Fortunato. Okay, well, I went to school with Tommy, Tommy Fortunato, and... They were the they were probably the toughest family in all of Brooklyn. I mean, they were tough. I remember sitting out by my window in Brooklyn, you know, because that's what you did back then. You, you you sat at the window and you watched the world go by because there was always some kind of shit going on. And it was late at night, and I watched his mother slap the shit out of this guy's either wife <laughs> or fiance or or out of her her son's wife. Or fiance, or or girlfriend, or something like that, because she caught her cheating on him. I mean, just beat her up right there in the street. This was the mother. Okay. This was so also this was, this was also Joe- this was also Brooklyn in the '60s. Yes, yes, this was this was definitely Brooklyn in the '60s. So, uh, I mean, Joe Pepitone was was a hero of mine growing up before I knew about all the coke and all the other stuff he did. But it's a hell of a book. And don't forget, Joe Pepitone, according to Kramer, also designed Central Park. Right, right, of course. Um, You know, somebody else, two other people passed away since we last did the show. Uh, Bud Grant, the longtime Vikings coach, probably the number one legend maybe in the history of Minnesota sports. I don't know. Uh, I I mean, it's Bud Grant, Kirk Cousins, Kirby Puckett, who else am I missing? Um, no, but seriously, Bud Grant's pr- probably like Gibbs is here. Bud Grant's probably number one, right? I mean, Timberwolves haven't been around that you long. You know what's ironic? What? Is ironic Puckett. is he never won a Super Bowl. No, he lost four of them. Okay. Yeah. But Tom Kelly, who is the manager of the Minnesota Twins, won two World Series. Right. But he's not in the same conversation with Bud Grant. No, but Kirby Puckett might be in terms of legends in the history of Minnesota sports. You know, along with, you know, Fran Tarkington and Chuck Foreman and Alan Page and Carl Eller and the Purple People Eaters, the whole thing. But anyway, he passed away. Um, He was 95 years old. I remember they... The, the playoff game that they had back in 2015 against Seattle, and they had to play it outdoors because they were still building the new stadium, and they were playing at the University of Minnesota, and I think it was like three below zero. And there was a shot of Bud, you know, walking out onto the field before in like a short-sleeve Oxford without a coat on. And, um, you know, to think of him as a 95-year-old, in some ways I kind of thought he might have been older. Um, but... It dovetails into the other guy that passed away since we last did a show because Super Bowl four, which Bud Grant coached, Joe Cap, the Minnesota Vikings, 12.5-point favorites against Hank Stram and the Kansas City Chiefs, and the Chiefs won that game. There was back-to-back massive upsets. You know, think about you lived through that. 
Think about Super Bowl three and Super Bowl four back to back. Joe Namath and the Jets pull off the biggest upset at the time in sports yes. history um, against the Colts. Yes. And then the next year, the AFL franchise, the Chiefs, as a 12 and a half point underdog, beat the NFL franchise um, in Minnesota. But the guy that caught a touchdown pass in that game for the Kansas City Chiefs, Otis Taylor, passed away. And I briefly mentioned him, I think, on the podcast on Friday. Tommy, for me, and I know you've written about the Chiefs teams and all of their Hall of Famers on defense, Buck Buchanan, et cetera, all those guys, um, Willie Lanier, um, uh, Thomas, the the uh, corner that was here, um, all Emma those guys. Thomas. Yeah, yeah, Emma Thomas. Um, that is the, the Chiefs of the early to mid-70s with Hank Stram. I mean, my, my first memories are of George Allen's 71 skins. And then of, you know, the football that was going on at the time, the Chiefs were a glamour team and Otis Taylor and Lenny Dawson, you know, and and all of those great defensive players. One of the first games I remember watching was Redskins at Chiefs in George Allen's first year in 1971. Otis Taylor, I think, had a touchdown in that game, and he was a major star. By the way, not in the Hall of Fame, which actually surprised yeah. me. Um, he was on the ballot yeah. uh, this past year as a senior, um, but di- but didn't make it. Um, but Washington played the Chiefs in the middle of the season, 1971, and Washington was undefeated. And Charlie Taylor broke his he broke his leg or broke his ankle in that game with Washington up. And then they ended up losing the first game of the year, and they didn't have Charlie Taylor the rest of the year. They ended up going to the playoffs in George Allen's first year. But it was, like, magical to see the Redskins against the Chiefs. Do you remember that that era of the Chiefs-Raiders being, like, the best rivalry in football? And, you know, they were AFL teams, obviously, but they were a glamour team. Oh, the Chiefs-Raiders was always much watched because the Raiders were just of every bit a glamour team. Right. Uh, Daryl LaMonica, the mad bomber at quarterback, you know, uh, the, uh, I mean, they, 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 they were very much. Upshaw yeah, and Shell. Blitnikoff and, and, yeah. and Warren Wells. Jim Otto. Was, was, yeah. Yeah. Fred, yeah. Fred Davidson. Ben Davidson, I mean. The uh, the guy with the hands on bar mustache right. at defensive end. Ted Hendricks, all of them. Um, yeah, no. Yeah, the I, Chiefs. Chiefs were a glamour team, and and, and Hank Stram was was a high profile coach to watch, fun to watch on the sideline. Yeah, I just pulled up the box score from that game, October twenty fourth, nineteen seventy one. Washington was five and zero. The Chiefs were four and one. So this was a heavyweight game, four o'clock. You know, national TV, and Otis Taylor caught two touchdown passes in that game from Lenny Dawson. But Washington had a 17-6 lead, and it was on a 36-yard touchdown pass from Kilmer to Taylor. And I believe that it's on that play, and somebody will tweet me at Kevin Sheehan, D.C., to let me know that I'm right or wrong about that. But I think it was on that play that Taylor fractured his ankle or leg, I forget. And uh, they weren't the same the rest of the year offensively without Charlie Taylor. But Otis, uh, Otis Taylor in that game... Uh, two touchdown catches uh, for the Chiefs. Len Dawson, I mean, he would be smoking on the uh, sideline, you know, when the defense yeah. was out on the field. Um, all right, you got anything else? Well, you know, I hate to bring it up again. Your foot? Well, I don't really. No, no, no. You know, 
I've told this story before, but uh, Jack Del Rio beat the crap out of O.S. Taylor once. Oh, right, right, right. You did tell me that story. Because yeah. well, during the, be- during during the, the strike. strike, yeah, because he thought that Otis Taylor, who was a coach, uh, I think, or a scout for the Chiefs, was crossing was was a scab crossing right. the picket line. Yeah, but he was a coach, and he literally beat him up. Yeah, I mean, Otis Taylor was like forty five years old at the time, I think. Yeah, yeah. There's pictures of that uh, confrontation, by the way, before whatever yeah. happened happened. Uh, that's unfortunate. All right. Um, all right. Anything else? How's your foot? Just real quickly update everybody on your foot. Uh, much, much better. I'm going to see a doctor today, but uh, no walking boot. Uh, I, I think I'll have a full recovery. All right, my friend. Uh, Thursday, back here. We're going to get a show out early. Uh, I'm going to need your commitment to be ready uh, to go right when my radio show ends because we've got games that start at 12:15, and the first game of the day on Thursday is Maryland West Virginia. Uh, we'll talk brackets. We'll do a lot of college basketball on Thursday. Uh, that's it for the day. Heineke off play action. There's Fowler in the backfield. Heineke gets away, lobs it in the end zone, and it's caught. It's a touchdown! McLaurin back on the field! And out of the scramble situation, he ends up with six. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.